The first of my posts was a focus summary of Part 4, Chapter 4. After leaving his mother and sister in the hands of Razumihin, Raskolnikov goes straight to the house where Sonia lives. As he wanders in the darkness, uncertain where to turn, a door opens and a voice asks, Who is there? Raskolnikov answers that it is he, and that he has come to see her, and Sonia cries out in surprise. He hastens into her room, and she follows in agitation. His visit makes her sick, ashamed, and happy. It is a small room, sparsely furnished, with scratched and blackened wallpaper, and every sign of poverty. Opposite the door is another door, always locked, leading to a separate lodging. As Raskolnikov attentively scrutinizes her room, she feels as though he is standing before her as the arbiter of her destiny. Raskolnikov tells Sonia he has come to her for the last time and may not see her again. She asks if he is going away and if he will not attend the funeral, and he tells her he shall know the next morning. He looks at her with compassionate kindness and asks her to sit down, commenting gently on the thin transparency of her hand, which she says has always been like that. He asks Sonia if it is the Kapernaumovs who live through the other door, saying that he would be frightened in her room at night. When she says that they are good and kind people, he tells her that he heard from her father that they all stammer. She says only the father and the eldest of the seven children do, and the rest are simply ill. Raskolnikov says he also heard from Marmaladov about the time Katerina Ivanovna kissed Sonia's feet, and Sonia is confused. Then she whispers to him that she fancied she saw Marmaladov that day as she walked the streets. Raskolnikov asks Sonia if Katerina Ivanovna used to beat her, and in anguish and distress she rushes to Katerina Ivanovna's defense. She says that she is pure and good and righteous, and that she is also terribly ill, unhappy, and angry over the unrighteousness around her. Raskolnikov asks what will now become of Sonia, since Marmaladov came to her for money, and Sonia says she does not know. Raskolnikov scorns them all for relying on her, but she tells him angrily that they are one. She again expresses anguished pity for Katerina Ivanovna, whose mind is unhinged, who spits blood and weeps, who knocks her head against the wall in despair, who cannot buy her children shoes, and who has built all her hopes on Raskolnikov. Raskolnikov comments bitterly that he understands why Sonia lives as she does, and she flies at him, asking whether he is not sorry for them too. Then she despairs over her own cruelty to them. Before her father died, she had gone to show Katerina Ivanovna some collars and cuffs she bought from the peddler, Lizaveta. Katerina Ivanovna put them on and admired herself, recalling her old, happy days. She asked to keep them, and Sonia recalls how she refused, and she longs to go back and change her words. 
Raskolnikov expresses surprise that Sonia knew Lizaveta, and she asks whether he knew her too. After a silent pause, he changes the subject. He tells Sonia that Katerina Ivanovna will soon die of consumption, and that it will be better if she does, and she answers, as if imploring him, that it would not be better, and that it cannot be. He tells her mercilessly that she might be taken ill, and the children will end up on the streets, that Katerina Ivanovna will die, that Polenka too will have to live like her, and Sonia cries in desperation that God will not let it be, while she looks at Raskolnikov imploringly, as if it all depends on him. Raskolnikov answers malignantly that maybe there is no God, and Sonia breaks into bitter sobs. Five minutes pass, with Sonia sobbing and Raskolnikov pacing the room, and then he goes up to her, looks at her with glittering, feverish eyes, bends down to the ground, and kisses her foot. He looks like a madman. He tells her that he bowed down, not to her, but to all the suffering of humanity. He boasts that he told an insolent man he was not worth Sonia's little finger, and that he did his sister an honor, making her sit beside her. His words frighten Sonia. Raskolnikov says solemnly that it is true that she is a great sinner, and that the worst of her sins is that she has betrayed herself for nothing. She has lived in filth, shame, and degradation, and she has not helped anyone by it. It would be better for her to have ended it all. Sonia looks at him with anguished eyes that reveal she had thought of that many times, and says, But what would become of them? He understands that she has endured the torture of her shameful position for the sake of the half-crazy Katerina Ivanovna and her orphan children. But he believes her degradation cannot live side by side with holy feelings. He thinks that with her character, the only way she could have stopped from killing herself is to have let real depravity penetrate her heart. He sees only three paths open to her—death, the madhouse, or depravity. And, as a cynic, he sees the last as the likeliest end. He wonders to himself whether it is possible that this creature, with such purity of spirit, has been drawn into the filth of iniquity, and he declares it cannot be. He imagines instead that she sits on the abyss of loathsomeness and hopes for a miracle, and that makes her not loathsome, but mad. He questions her about whether she prays and what God does for her, and he takes her answers as further proof that she is a religious maniac. He sees the New Testament lying on a chest of drawers and asks where she got it. She says it was brought to her by Lizaveta. He carries the book to the candle and asks Sonia to find the story of Lazarus and read it to him. He mutters to himself that in three weeks' time he will be in the madhouse, if not a worse place. He asks whether Sonia often goes to church, and she says ashamedly that she doesn't. He asks whether she will also forego her father's funeral, 
but she says that she will go, and that she also attended services for Lizaveta, who was killed with an axe. He asks if she knew Lizaveta well, and she says they used to read together, and that she will see God. Raskolnikov tells himself they are both religious maniacs, and that it is infectious, and that he will soon be one too. Sonia reads the story reluctantly, saying that there is no point, since he does not believe. Raskolnikov sees that it is painful to her to share what through all her suffering has been her secret treasure. But he also sees that though the idea fills her with dread, she has a tormenting desire to read it to him, whatever might come. With intense emotion and quivering voice, as if she were making her own confession of faith, she reads the story of Lazarus, how the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them after their brother's death, how Martha said to Jesus that if he had been there, her brother would not have died, how Jesus said to her that he shall rise again, and how, when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. As she gets near the story of the greatest miracle, she trembles in a real physical fever. She reads by heart, her voice rings out, and joy gives her words power. As she tells the story of the Jews, who would fall at Jesus' feet, sobbing and believing, he sees Sonia quiver with anticipation, thinking Raskolnikov too will believe. She continues the story, trembling with ecstasy. How Jesus told Martha that if she believed, she would see the glory of God. How the stone of Lazarus's tomb was removed, and, when Jesus had spoken, he came forth. And how the Jews believed. Sonia can read no more, and she closes the book, trembling feverishly, not daring to raise her eyes to Raskolnikov. Five minutes pass, and Raskolnikov says he came to speak of something. He says that he is broken with his family, and that he has only her now. He says that they are both accursed, and should go on their way together, down the same road, with the same goal. She thinks to herself that he looks mad and infinitely happy. He says that they have both sinned, have both had the strength to transgress, that they have both destroyed a life, in her case, her own, that she must look reality straight in the face and stop weeping like a child that God won't allow it, and they must go together on the same road. She asks what is to be done, and he says, break what must be broken and take the suffering on oneself, telling her, she will understand later. As he prepares to leave, his farewell message is freedom and power, and above all, power. He says that someday she will understand what he meant, and that he will come to her the next day and tell her who killed Lizaveta. Sonia starts with terror, asking how he could know, but not for a moment does she suspect that the murderer is he. She spends the whole night feverish and delirious, 
dreaming of Polenka, Katerina Ivanovna, and Lizaveta, wondering what drove Raskolnikov to leave his family, and recalling how he said he could not live without her, and how he kissed her feet. And on the other side of the door on the right was a room that had long stood empty. But throughout her conversation with Raskolnikov, Svidrigailov had been there, listening. He found the conversation interesting and remarkable. And when Raskolnikov left, he had carried a chair to the door, that in the future he might listen in comfort. The next of my posts was called The Same Road. I have started in on this commentary several times, and then had to wipe the slate clean and start again. It's hard to know where to begin, hard to know what deserves the most focus, hard even to know precisely what is going on in Raskolnikov's mind. One thing that I now realize made the analysis challenging is that we experience this deep and intense exchange between Sonia and Raskolnikov from both of their very different perspectives at once. We have to work to understand not only what is being said, but what it means to Sonia and what it means to Raskolnikov. At the chapter's conclusion, I felt a little like Sonia in her dreams, my head spinning with images of Katerina Ivanovna and the gospel and Raskolnikov kissing Sonia's feet. So, I thought I'd try this. I will describe what I think happened in this chapter from each of their perspectives separately. Sonia receives Raskolnikov in her room, feeling sick and ashamed and happy. She is sick and ashamed to have him witness her degraded condition. It pains her when he makes reference to the source of her shame. She looks down in anguished confusion when he asks whether she had been walking the streets. She flushes with embarrassment and answers him with pained effort when he asks whether she gets money every day. She is mortified when he tells her that he boasted about having introduced her to his own mother and sister, and she's anguished when he kisses her foot. She regards herself as sinful, degraded, and dishonorable, and as Raskolnikov's inferior. She's happy because she seems to feel for Raskolnikov something like love. Not the love we might expect of a teenage girl for her handsome benefactor, but love nonetheless. She blushes at his presence, smiles when he takes her hand, and feels a tormenting desire to read the scriptures to him. She seems almost to worship Raskolnikov, looking to him as a savior and a judge. When he enters her room, she trembles, quote, as though she was standing before the arbiter of her destinies, unquote. When she says of the cruel fate he lays out for her family that God will not let it be, she looks at Raskolnikov as if it all depended on him. When Raskolnikov interrogates her about the family next door, about Katerina Ivanovna, about what will become of her family, her answers are always characterized by humility, charity, and faith. She pleads the kindness of her disreputable neighbors, defends the righteousness of Katerina Ivanovna, and believes in the safeguarded innocence of her sister. She takes on the burden of her family without resentment, 
she finds fault only in her own actions, and she places trust in the goodness of God. The scriptures are her consolation, her own, her secret treasure. She reads the story of Lazarus with such intensity of feeling that it is as if she were making a public confession of faith. When she comes to the resurrection, she trembles with ecstasy, telling the story as if she were seeing it before her own eyes. She dreams that Raskolnikov will hear her words and will believe like she believes, and she quivers with happy anticipation. She cannot understand why Raskolnikov would abandon his family. She does not suspect that he knows who the murderer is because the murderer is he. And she is perplexed as to why he says that they are both accursed and must go down the same road together. So, he leaves her in a state of delirious confusion, with thoughts and images from all they had discussed swirling through her mind. When Raskolnikov comes to Sonia, he enters her room and begins attentively scrutinizing it, seeing in it every sign of poverty and noticing all the degraded details. He asks a series of cynical questions about her stammering neighbors, her abusive stepmother, and her family's inevitable doom. When she defends the goodness of those he has scorned, he responds with a bitter smirk. When she declares her fervent belief that God will protect her family, he answers with a malignant laugh, saying that perhaps there is no God at all. He sees in Sonia a reflection of himself. They have both transgressed, have both dared to overstep, have both destroyed a life since she destroyed her own. What a chilling moral equivocation. Have both carried the burden of suffering and have both been brought to madness. When she endures the pain of opening her soul to him, unveils her secret treasure and reads the story of Lazarus with the fervency of a personal confession, what he sees is a religious maniac. He believes they must go together on the same road. That road, whatever he imagines it will be, is described with echoes of his doctrine on crime. They will break what must be broken, take the suffering on themselves, stand over trembling creation, and embrace freedom and power above all. But there is something in Raskolnikov's response to Sonia that even he doesn't seem to understand. He has chosen her out. He decided long ago that it would be to her that he would confess. He asks her to read the story of Lazarus, listens in silence, and responds with emotion. And to us, she in her meek humility seems in some ways more formidable than he in his will to power. At the close of their conversation, he feels a stern and savage determination. He lectures Sonia about what she must do. He tells her that she will someday understand, while she is in a state of delirium and confusion. But he is the one who has something to learn. And I can only wonder if he will. After I struggled through this commentary, I discovered this comment to the Facebook group from Molly Johnson. It captures much of what I struggled to say, 
but with such efficient beauty. Quote, Raskolnikov tries to get Sonia to stop evading facts, that she's a whore, that her mother's sick, that her sacrifice is for nothing because her family is doomed, and draws a moral equivalence between them. We are both accursed. Haven't you done the same? You have destroyed a life. He seems to want to drown her in his own cynicism, yet is drawn to her by her insatiable compassion, which meets that cynicism with unutterable reproach. What held her up, he asks, and saw through her as she stood before him, as if she is morally naked, transparent, startled to see that she remains pure despite her sin. She has compassion for herself in a way that Raskolnikov can't because of the nature of his crime, and attempts to bring him to the source of that compassion, her Bible. And all the while, the devil is in the next room, making himself comfortable. Unquote. The last of my posts was called Favorites. This scene, this scene is my favorite. I realized recently that I have spent very little time discussing the artistry of crime and punishment. That is not because I haven't appreciated it, but because I appreciate it too deeply. So deeply that what he does and how it makes me feel defies description. From the moment I enter a chapter like this one, I'm spellbound. Spellbound by the expectation of what might happen. What does Raskolnikov want from Sonia? What will become of her in the hands of this tortured criminal? Spellbound by the reality of the scene, that barn-like room with its weird angles, its shabby blackened wallpaper, and its single candlestick. Spellbound by the fevered emotions of the characters, Sonia's possessiveness of the scriptures as a secret treasure too important to share and the trembling exhilaration in her voice as she reads the story of the resurrection and sees it before her own eyes. Spellbound by the jarring surprises that Raskolnikov has chosen her out and will tell her who the murderer is tomorrow, that the now epically creepy Svidrigailov was there all along, lurking behind the door, eavesdropping with idle amusement on this so-sacred exchange. Even as I write that, I want to go back and, well, spy on them again myself. Because however dark their universe, it is one in which every tiny detail is enthralling and its consequence important. I sometimes wonder whether Dostoevsky is history's best advocate for the Christian faith. I felt nervous, intimidated, reading this chapter aloud, because I found myself not wanting to profane what Sonia held so dear. The story of Lazarus, seen through her eyes and told with her quivering emotion, was deeply moving to me. In my mind, it will serve forever after as an example of the way in which a true believer might hold his or her faith. And how a sufferer might seek consolation in it. To inventory what contributes to the power of this scene would be to reread the scene altogether. But if I were forced to choose a few moments, 
Raskolnikov holding Sonia's thin, transparent hand, like a dead hand. Sonia's face beaming with insatiable compassion as she upholds the essential goodness of Katerina Ivanovna. Katerina Ivanovna dragging the washtub into the room and sinking on the bed, gasping for breath, and then still not having money for Lida's dear little boots. Sonia's pained regret at having denied Katerina Ivanovna the pleasure of the collars and cuffs that allowed her for a moment to escape to her happier past. Raskolnikov, with twitching lips and feverish eyes, dropping to the ground to kiss Sonia's foot in tribute to suffering humanity. Sonia's eyes flashing with fire as she asks what she would be without God, and her voice quivering with emotion as she reads of the conversion of the Jews and longs to make Raskolnikov a believer too. Raskolnikov's eyes glittering with madness as he tells Sonia that they must go together down the same road. And Svidrigailov, as Molly so fittingly called him, the devil, making himself comfortable outside the door. I will forever remember the elaborate interweaving of powerful elements that have come together in this scene, in which, quote, the candle end was flickering out in the battered candlestick, dimly lighting up in the poverty-stricken room, the murderer and the harlot, who had so strangely been reading together the eternal book. Unquote. 